this car is driving down the street like very fast every day like we need to do something about it and they don't care like the neighborhood doesn't care they're like actually we think you and your family are the problem forget the car real quick like we think your children should be in prison like that's how bad (laughs) that's how bad it is for one hope you are doing phenomenal i'm your host jalen and welcome back to retrospection connection where we take a more critical look back at tv and movies that left their mark on us in a formative moment of our lives allow me to serve as your guide as we take a look back at today's chosen piece of media growing up i often looked at tv and movies to learn more about different family dynamics and the various characters that comprise them i was raised in a relatively small household primarily living with just my mom. So it was always fascinating to peek into someone else's extremely unfamiliar circumstances. When I wanted a taste of what it'd be like to be surrounded by siblings in a unique family setup, there were always so many options to choose from. Full House, Family Matters, The Nanny. Check that episode out, by the way. It is great. The list could really go on and on. But one that, in retrospect, I definitely took a bit for granted was the 2000s Fox sitcom, Malcolm in the Middle. I think I wrote the show off as the one with the bad kids and didn't really look back at it for over a decade. Fortunately for me, my new friend, Darrell, came to chat with me about the show and in the process, we unpacked themes of family, the intersection of race and class, what it means to be gifted and making the most out of your lot in life. I'm grateful for the opportunity to have looked back on this classic sitcom and to have made a friend in the process. Of course, follow Retrospection Connection on Instagram at Retrospection Connection. Enjoy. Why, hello there, everyone. I am joined by a newer friend here in the virtual studio. I'm super excited to be meeting with this particular person because I felt like the way that we connected was Pretty serendipitous, if I do say so myself. It was one of those interactions that you could have missed if if one or both of the people were not receptive to it in that moment or not looking to make that connection. But I'm, I'm really glad that we did. I think I found somebody really cool, really intelligent, and also somebody that is plugged into the way that they're thinking about media, which is something that I always gravitate towards. I would like to give the space to this person to introduce themselves, speak a bit to how we got connected, and also tell us something that you're reflecting on right now. It can be as trivial or as important as you would like it to be. So what's up, everyone? My name is Darrell, and I met Jalen kind of, I guess the word is pretty natural, like genuine meeting at a bar on jazz night. Jalen just started speaking to me, and I was like, oh, this guy's cool. We're just going to talk to each other the whole night actually kind of cool to meet someone genuinely and not like in a work setting or like through another brand or something like that you know as you get older it kind of gets hard to meet other people without having to like have like a super mutual interest or like you're forced to like see them in your life or something like that then like something i'm kind of like introspecting on right now is like sleep sleep has been like a real weird thing with me i've been like waking up in the middle of the night 
for no reason or I'll wake up and I'll feel great. And then as soon as I get to work, I'm like, like I can take a nap right now. I feel that there's something about like really just being in a circumstance that you maybe rather not be doing or being in that can trigger that sleepy nature in you. I, I've definitely felt that like where it's like 4.58 and I'm exhausted. And then once it hits five, I'm like, I've caught a second wind. I'm ready. I have a new lease on life. So I definitely relate to that. I, I did want to comment on something that you said in the context of how we met too, because I'm really glad that that it went that way. And I'm a bit newer to the world of like post school ways of connecting with people. I'm just trying my best. So it, it was really nice that we were able to just sort of strike up conversation. I wanted to ask you, how do you feel like you're going about building community and connections? How has that been going for you? Nobody really prepares you for like how much work is going to take part of your life. Once I first like started working, I was really like excited and I was like, I'm an adult now. I can go out and meet other adults that are like not in college and things like that. Then you get off work and you're like, I don't want to do any of that. Who has the energy but, uh, or the time for that after exactly, eight like, hours? And then I got to go home and like cook and stuff. And it's just like, I don't want to deal with that right now. Mm-hmm. But um, it's mostly just been like reaching out to people through social media and stuff like that. Like I found out that it's best if you have like a hobby, especially if it's a hobby that requires you to be like outside. Mm-hmm. It's best to just like go and like talk to people. I skateboard. And so when oh. I'm at the skate park, I'll just start talking to someone or I just walk up to them. They do a trick and walk up to them and say, hey, that was cool. That's how I found it the easiest. Like the way we met is it happened and it was very genuine. And it was very natural, but it doesn't always go like that. No, it, it definitely doesn't. And I think that's cool, though. I, I think you have a point about like it, it helps to have some sort of established shared interest meeting at the skate park, for example, and commenting on the way that somebody's done a, a move really well. Like that's a great natural way, I think, to to start off a connection. I don't know that I have something like that. Maybe now, now that I'm in the creative space a little bit more, I'd love to connect with more people that are doing similar things and building off of that. But I admire that in you, Darrell. I think that's dope. Now, before we get into the piece of media that we're talking about today, Malcolm in the Middle, I always like to ask my guests an introductory question. How would you describe your relationship to popular culture, popular media, especially growing up? Growing up, I would say I was, um, I wouldn't say that I had niche interests, but I was definitely less adventurous. I would get something like one or two episodes before I was like, all right, um, I'm, I'm done with this. <laughs> or, or this is my thing and then I'm going to watch it until it ends. But I was definitely like an avid TV watcher. I played video games. I watched movies. Like I've, I've always been like a consumer of media and, and, and pop culture in general. Me and my family, we would watch BET Wars together. Um, we were also big into like, uh, what is it? What's the one where they're singing? I can't remember the name. Oh, like American Idol? Yeah, American Idol. Like, you know, we were voting and all that stuff. Like, we were in there. Like, we, you knew who we wanted to win. But, like, I've never been, like, the one to, to like, analyze it until I got older, you know? Like, when I was younger, I was just like, this is cool. But now it's like, there's actually a meaning behind it. I, I hear you. First of all, me and my mom and my brother were definitely also the voters. Our thing, I think, for a long time was America's Best Dance Crew on MTV. Because my brother is very into dancing. So, like, it was like, we're going to vote for the Jabberwockies like a million times. They won. What can I say? I, I like to think some of that was us. 
I, you know, not so, to take too much credit. I contributed too, so I would like a little bit of credit as well. All right, all right. I'll give you your little piece, a little something, something. But something that you said sparked another question in me. When exactly, if you could pinpoint it to a period of your life, when do you feel like you started to think more critically about the media that you were consuming rather than just sort of absorbing it, letting it go in one ear, coming out the other? I'd probably say like much later in life than I expected, probably like once I entered college. Because mm -hmm. I, I do remember like watching like movies on Disney Channel and stuff and just thinking like, oh, this is like just very fun stuff. Like mm -hmm. even when I was in high school, I was like, this is just fun. I was never one of those kids that was like, oh, I'm too old to watch cartoons or anything like that. It was always just like, I'm going to watch what I like. But then as I got older and there was like way more media out and I'm watching things, and I'm like, a lot of this is getting kind of like very blatant about their messages. We started getting more shows that actually discussed it within the episode rather than just like having it portrayed. Once I was older, I was like, okay, now that we have all these streaming services, I can go back and watch the shows I used to watch as a kid. And now I'm watching them and I'm like, they're portraying something and there's a meaning behind it. And it's not just something that's happening. This isn't just like a one-off thing that happens. It's just like actual commentary on people's real life experiences. Right. Like there's nuance to the stories that they're telling. It's not so clearly black and white as you may have interpreted it at an earlier time. If you're watching that same piece of media, I thought it was really interesting what you said about the messages being more blatant. Talk a little bit more about that. Did you mean like modern media is, is being more blatant in its messaging and always feeling like it's taking a definitive side? Or is your perception of it becoming more layered? And so now you can see the messages where you weren't earlier. I think it's a little of both. Like, I think a good show that I watched when I was younger was um, Tyler Perry's House of Pain. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of episodes where they explicitly say, like, this show is about police brutality. You know, like this and this is what we're talking about in this episode. Or like there's an episode where like the kid, um, he goes to buy a gun and then they're like, no, now we need to have a talk to you about violence and what death really means to people. Mm -hmm. Whereas in other shows as a kid, that kind of happens and they're just like, this is bad, don't do it. And that's kind of the end of it. Okay, so like sometimes the conversations that are had within the piece of media are uh, sometimes, at least like growing up, a bit more succinct, just like, don't do this. This is a bad yeah. thing that'll get you into trouble. The end. Exactly. Whereas maybe some, some more media that you're taking in now or as you've come into your more critical sensibilities with media, you're able to see the more in-depth conversations that are happening. Well, that I think is an interesting lead-in to this particular sitcom that we're checking out today and that we're going to be talking about, Malcolm in the Middle. This is a show for me that I have a fond recollection of just because I was telling you this, Darrell, during the planning, but when I was younger, my mom and my aunt, they worked very odd hours. And so when we were going to school in the mornings, my grandma would take me as well as my cousins to school. I have very particular memories of every morning just being in that living room at 7.30, 8, something like that. Malcolm in the Middle would come on every morning like clockwork. And I remember it would really irritate my grandma because really, we'll, we'll get into it, but the depictions of, of kids in this show and how they carry themselves, arguably not the best example for other kids in that same time in their lives. But 
nonetheless, she she did kind of let us watch it. Maybe she was like, look, I just got to get you guys where you need to go. That's what I'm focused on the most. But I do remember watching it every day and thinking it was funny, also thinking that the kids were bad. But it, it does hold a very special place in my heart for marking that time that I had with my family because it, it's never been like that since then. We've all sort of done our own things and we all still love each other and are connected, but it, it's not the same. But I, I think I, I do want to ask you, what is your relationship to the show? How did you come to start watching it? Why is it something that you feel that you want to talk about here on Retrospection Connection? The show for me, like when I was younger, it was just kind of like one of those shows that was very easy to turn on and just like watch. You just got off from school and like maybe you don't have any homework to do. Maybe it's the weekend. You just woke up, turn this on and watch it real easy. It's not that I like related with the family or anything as a kid. Like, I did relate to them in some ways, but, like, as a kid watching the show, it just, I guess, like, it had, like, this sense of, like, homeliness, I guess, for, like, a better term. It's just, like, you can watch this and you can feel seen without necessarily feeling like your life is being portrayed here, you know? Overall, it's just easy to watch. Yeah, and, and this show is very, very funny. And one of my fascinations is with sitcoms in general. Like, I, I just love talking about trends over time. Because I think they serve as markers for where we're at as a society. So I'm very excited to talk about the show in the context of it being a sitcom format and how it conforms to certain conventions, but also goes against those in a lot of ways. One thing I really like that you said, though, an interesting quality about the show is that like you resonated with it, but it, it didn't necessarily claim to like reflect your actual life. And I think that's really impressive to pull off where you still feel seen and heard by the show, but it's not necessarily like a mirror of you. Sometimes there's that inclination to like only consume media that you feel completely affirmed by or that you can totally see yourself in. But I just thought that was interesting. Even the side characters aren't really just like, like this is the guy that, and this is his personality and it stays that way. Or this is the guy, he's just here for this one thing. You know, mm -hmm. like there's, multiple characters who like not only change throughout um, the, the seasons of the show, but they also are multifaceted. Absolutely. I think that is certainly one way that they go against some of the conventions of a sitcom. For a lot of sitcoms, it's hinged upon things, relatively speaking, stay the exact same and the characters and their motivations stay basically the same. But Malcolm in the Middle does allow their characters to grow and evolve, at least more than I think I've seen for things like The Cosby Show or Full House or family sitcoms that precede Malcolm in the Middle. And I think that's why the show is kind of regarded as one of the last great family sitcoms. I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but I, I think the fact that it knows how to work within those conventions and also play off of those is, is really important. Before we get too deep into the show and themes that resonated with you, Darrell, I do want to give a quick synopsis for the show for folks that maybe haven't seen it at all, or if you're curious about it and you're wondering if you should take a look at it. And then I also want to ask you, do you feel like this is a good summation of what the show has to offer? Firstly, 
The show aired from January 9th, 2000 to May 14th, 2006, and it ran for seven seasons on Fox. So here's the premise. The Cleavers, they ain't. Mom is a screaming control freak. Dad is a goofy human hairball. Oldest son Francis escaped the family at a young age. Reese is just criminal. Dewey is a space cadet, and young Jamie is the scapegoat. The middle kid, Malcolm, who delivers the narrative for the capers of this whacked-out clan, is a brainiac who doesn't want to be burdened by his genius. So with all of that being said, how do you feel about the way the synopsis wraps up the show? Does it connect to why you feel so connected to the show and why it's traveled with you as you've gotten older? Talk to me about that. I think that's a good synopsis. I'd, I'd add one little tidbit about um, Malcolm, since he is the centerpiece of it. Um, just to add that um, like he's trying very hard to fit in. Mm. And I think that's what I relate to the most in the show. Like, Not that I didn't fit in or that I was different from other people. It just like, as a kid, that's kind of like a big deal, like fitting in. And even in moments where it's not like you don't necessarily fit in, but you just don't feel comfortable. I don't have to be the center of attention, but I have to at least be allowed into the space. Well, I, I think it's it's an interesting context then for the show to have the middle sibling, which admittedly, I didn't grow up in a big family, so I'm not as aware of those dynamics of like oldest sibling, middle sibling, youngest sibling, et cetera. From what I've heard, the middle sibling is usually the one that's sort of left to the wayside, so to speak. You know, obviously they're loved and cared for, but they're sometimes labeled as like the forgotten child or the one that like kind of gets left to their own devices. So I, I do find it really interesting that the show centers now on the middle sibling and their struggle to both fit in and also to stand out in, in certain other ways. And really the fact that they have no choice but to stand out by virtue of their being really, really smart at a really young age and dealing with the consequences that come with that. But let's start there then, since that's a big theme for you and something that stuck with you. How do you feel like the show tackled the subject of fitting in, both in, in the specific context of Malcolm, but all of the characters? I think it shows most, well, obviously it shows most about Malcolm. He's the centerpiece. But um, they, they do a good job at portraying it because he's, like the smartest kid in the school so naturally all of his friends in, sc in school are the smart ones but when you he goes home he has his brother reese who's pretty much like the strong dumb guy archetype and then he has his younger brother dewey and he's kind of like aloof he's like in his own little world and then francis who's not there at all like what you sent me earlier he was written off but he still appears mm -hmm. and so like he has this whole vast dynamic of where like when he goes home, the butt of the joke are his friends from school. But once he goes to school, the butt of the joke is his family. And so he has these two contrasting um, roles where it's like at home, I can be not necessarily the tough guy, but I can be the, the rowdy, the raunchy, the rough kid that mm -hmm. I feel like I am. But at school, I'm forced, not necessarily forced or kind of forced actually kind bit. of forced to be yeah like the 
the smart kid, even though like these are my friends and like I enjoy being around them. It's just this whole dynamic of where he's really struggling to fit in. I think there's an episode where they're trying to build like a battle robot and he's really interested in this. With his family, he can't really do that because they're not smart enough to build it. But with his friends from school, he can do that. And then his dad takes over and it shows how it's like this unrelenting and like rowdiness and like unorganized family life is kind of clashing with his, you know, his two worlds where it's like, oh, finally my two worlds are mixing and it all just goes to waste because they don't mix well or unwilling to work with each other. It's a really good way to like show like you can have many interests and those interests may clash at times, but that doesn't mean like you have to take a side. It's one of those things that I feel like is easier said than practiced. You know, we're both black men. I'm also a black gay man. And it's very easy to sort of segment off parts of your identity and parts of the way that you carry yourself or parts of your interests when you're with a group of people that you feel like it may not resonate with. And I can definitely relate to that, that sort of tension that Malcolm feels in these two worlds. And I noticed that there was a bit of hesitation from you to say that he was forced to to be something different with those like those smart kids at a school. I think they're called Quirrell Boins, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, which is sort of like a derogatory term at the school. Like you don't want to be labeled alongside those people because they're they're just not cool. They're the outcasts. Speak to a little bit more of that tension that Malcolm feels and really the family at large, because I personally feel like on a more macro level, they as a unit struggle to deal with the expectations that like their neighbors have about how they should carry themselves in the neighborhood and how society at large views them and, and the things that they quote unquote should be doing versus how they actually operate. Talk to me a little bit more about that. So one thing I noticed, and like, especially in the earlier episodes, is that other than Malcolm and Francis, none of them really have friends. A lot of the environment is happening, like, either around their family or at, in the home itself. I think that kind of speaks to not only how family-oriented they are, but how they themselves are not only the outcasts of, like, where they're, they're setting their peers, but the outcasts of, like, the entire show. In multiple episodes you see that like the neighborhood or coworkers or their friends in school, like they don't really try to associate with them or when they do associate with them, it's always an issue. There's a problem that needs to be fixed and they themselves are the problem. There's an episode where there's, I believe it's like a car that's speeding down the street. Hal is trying to get everyone on board and be like, hey, this is dangerous for our kids. Like this car is driving down the street like very fast every day. Like we need to do something about it. And they don't care. Like, the neighborhood doesn't care. They're like, actually, we think you and your family are the problem. Forget the car real quick. Like, we think your children should be in prison. Like, that's how bad. (laughs) That's how bad it is. In his head, I feel like he's like, we're just a family with some bad kids. This is a person that's actually putting people's lives in danger. Whereas on the other side, the neighborhood are like, 
we think your children are putting our lives in danger. It's like, okay, if we're talking about issues, let's let's start at square zero, which I believe yeah, is, like, is your family. I, I was listening to a podcast that was talking about the show in the context of villains. It was like a very specific way that they were framing it, but they were talking about like Lois, who's the mother character, and how maybe as a kid, you might view them as something of a villain who's like thwarting the plans of like all the kids and stuff. But they address the relationship that, Malcolm and his family have to the larger community. And it's complicated because, yeah, you know, we, we've developed bonds with this family because we, we see them in each episode and we connect with them. But I get the frustration that the neighborhood sometimes has with them. And the podcast mentioned that in the first episode, there's like a little subtle visual gag where like the kids are leaving the house to go to school and the house on the left of them as well as the house on the right of them both have a for sale sign. And I think that gives you from the jump an understanding of how this family is viewed and their relationship to the larger community. There's a lot of strife there. In some episodes, it feels like they're trying their hardest to accommodate that and be understanding of that and aware of the way that they're perceived. And other times they really embrace that whole outcast vibe and lean into it 100%. And both times it's funny, but I, I find it interesting that like they even go back and forth with whether they would like to embrace that conformity or if they're like, this is just who we are. Yeah, it's really, really interesting to see how like they respond to how others respond to them, even when in situations where they know they're at fault and like they're noticing like, oh, like we actually should not have done this or like we at least should have thought about what we did before we did it now they're coming to the realization it's like are we the bad guy or are we just kids mm-hmm. there was an episode too where they cut down a tree that's in front of their property and like semi-valid reasons for why i think one of the kids fell out of the tree and like there's a nest up there and so the birds are like pooping on their car somewhat valid reasoning but then the neighborhood is like your house looks really bad it's a sight for sore eyes and you kind of have to consult with the community to take such a big action. You know, you start to get into impacting the property value of not only your home, but everybody that lives around you. So I don't know. I, I thought it was a cool way of, of talking about those sorts of issues. I think it's hard to talk about Malcolm and his family without speaking about the larger factors that impact who they are. And, and this is something that we talked about even when we met at the jazz club, talking about Malcolm and his family as working class and not being the typical sitcom family and that being a point of connection for you in certain ways. So let's discuss that. Like, how do you feel like they're being less wealthy than the people in the neighborhood that they, they live in? How does that impact how they're viewed? How do you reflect on that as well? I think that really, like how you say, like the property values and how like the neighborhood would be concerned with that. I think that's a good starting point because like even in real life, people don't want lower class, lower income, people moving into their neighborhood because they think it means their property values are going to go down. Mm -hmm. So already their their status and their financial situation has painted them as the outcast because how are they able to afford to live in our neighborhood when 
we make so much more than them when they're struggling to survive while we are like you know able to keep up with our home we're able to make it look nice and stuff like that we can get a tutor for our kids things like that so i think that's kind of like where their outcast nature starts compounding on that there's hints at there being some disability in the family with how when i believe lois gets sick or she goes somewhere and how kind of spirals out of control he can't stop himself he's like he's manic whatever he does he has his mind on it and he goes from zero to 100 really quick he goes from calling the police to actually being the police that's how he is and then we have dewey who's kind of like in his own world like there's episodes where it shows that he does not see reality as the same as other people like him having a tantrum doesn't seem like a tantrum to him he just sees himself having a great good time and he wants something and then there's reese who has like zero social skills there's an episode where um he likes a girl but the only way he knows how to talk to her is to bully her he can't even say hello like he's just like oh i'm gonna bully you until you notice me and hopefully that'll get you to like me i feel like that's where malcolm comes in and he's like kind of the middle ground because he can be social but he also is like so stuck in his head and trying so hard to fit in with everyone that he himself starts to spiral like there's multiple instances where he's just like i know what i want to do and i know what i want and i can't get it my mind is running right now and it's that's never going to stop like i just think that compounds on them being more class because they probably understand this and they know this and that's why they rely on each other to help solve those problems rather than going to um a professional or a specialist because they can't afford it they have no other choice but to rely on each other and i think that's kind of their way of saying like hey we know we have an issue we know that we're struggling in life but the only way we can deal with it is to be a strong family and i think that's what what i really resonate with cuz i have a sister who's on the spectrum and i have other family members who have other issues and it's just like the only way we know how to like deal with stuff is to call someone up and be like hey like like i need something right now like i'm not i'm not straight right now like i'm spiraling and like and i got lucky cuz my grandma lives down the street from me too so it's just like i'm just going to go down there real quick y'all do whatever y'all doing here it ain't got nothing to do with me no more great exactly like i have somebody that has got me and maybe has a bit more security or stability to be able to support me in that way but i think that's the beauty of the show the fact that they rely on each other when it really counts the most despite their dysfunction but it it hits on some harsh realities too and when you were speaking about some of the characters like social difficulties especially it reminded me of like maslow's hierarchy of needs i think it's called mm-hmm. um and i actually talked about it in a previous episode but it just gets at the idea of like you need to have like your basic core needs met before you're able to sort of delve into your emotional needs and and your social so in the case of this family it it does feel like for a lot of them the struggle is just real in the house but the struggle for resources and making sure that everybody has all that they need and hopefully some of the things that they want and so when you look at it through that lens it makes a lot more sense why Reese for example is only really able to engage with people as a bully 
outside of that, he doesn't really know how to orient himself in social situations. And he's very unsure of how to navigate that. I'm not really exactly sure what it says about Malcolm that maybe by virtue of his intelligence, he's able to navigate social situations just a bit better, like you were saying. But there's still that anxiety and that that preoccupation in his mind of being like, I know what I want, but I'm not sure how to navigate this. Because really, I don't know that he was given the tools to know how to do that in his household, because who has time to focus on that when you're just making sure that, okay, is everybody fed? Is everybody clothed? Does everybody have their school books? Like, do we have the basics? And I do see that struggle within all of them, all of the family members to varying degrees of like trying to figure out how can I be a productive member of society with the resources that I've been given. That's definitely one of the things I didn't like notice till I rewatched the show as an adult because it's like it's a sitcom. So even though it's very obvious that their financial situation isn't as great as everyone else's, but they were still eating every day and things like that. And so there's a couple of episodes that touches on that where like Lois loses her job for like a week or two and they're like, oh, we're just going to eat the same thing every day. That's the reality of it. Like when your finances are struggling, like in real life, like you kind of just eat what you can afford. That just like really makes it way more difficult to like navigate your social life. When you wake up and the first thing you have to think about is, am I going to eat breakfast today? What do I have to sacrifice to eat breakfast? And is that sacrifice worth it? Yeah, I'm grateful i have to say that that's not been something that i've had to worry about or at least not growing up it wasn't something that i was concerned with i think after becoming an adult my mom has shared with me you know moments where it was more precarious than i was ever aware of and i'm i'm grateful that i wasn't exposed to that and it was at least stable enough to where she didn't have to let me know what was going on like certain moments when we weren't able to afford something but I can definitely see, or at least try to understand how that would impact these kids. Now, I think another interesting layer to consider, and this is something that was one of the first things that you mentioned about this show and, and why it stuck with you all these years, is the fact that this is a working class family, but nonetheless a white family in America. So in one way, there there's all this opposition against them because of their class standing. But it adds an interesting element to it that these are still white people in the United States. And you mentioned that this show doesn't feel as like, quote unquote, white coded as other sitcoms or other just shows that primarily feature white characters. And I thought that that was really fascinating because I agree with you, but I don't think I'd ever articulated it in quite that way or, or put it to words like that. So I, I wanted to speak to you about what made you come to that realization and how do you feel like that representation maybe differs from other shows and, and movies of that genre? When I first watched the show, like as a kid, it definitely felt white-coded simply because of just how bad they were. I know as a kid, I wasn't the best and me and my brother and my sister, we weren't the best, but it never got that far. Like, no. if someone got hurt, it was an accident. Like, <clears> there was never, like, any actual intent behind it. But they're, like, on ex they're on an extreme level. And I'm pretty sure that's just because, like, it's a show and it's supposed to be funny. But, mm -hmm. like, to an ex 
extent, it's like by now y'all have to know that what you're doing is it, there's a problem with it. And if you don't understand it, then I think that like it needs to be addressed yeah, by well, an adult. Yeah. And I, I hate to interrupt you, but what I'm hearing and what I, I think a lot of Black kids, but also just like kids of color growing up, we develop an association between how we navigate lives as kids versus how we perceive white kids to behave and, and navigate the world. Yeah. Talk a little bit more about that, because I feel like that's something that you're dancing around, but I want to hear more. Yeah, like I wouldn't doubt like if I went back to myself as a kid and be like, if just to think if I had any thoughts of like doing the same things they did, like I wouldn't doubt that I would have that thought. But mm -hmm. would I have went through with it? 100% not. Mm -hmm. Maybe some of the minor things, but other things that they've done, I was like, there was no way I would ever do this. And I just think it's because not necessarily that they weren't disciplined, but because I would be much more scared to, of my parents and not only my parents, but what would happen afterwards mm -hmm. than they were. And like, I feel like for them, there was no sense of real life repercussions other than their mother yelling at them. And I think that's where the show is very white coded for me, because even today you hear a lot of like white kids, something happens, they do something that's a straight up a felony and they kind of just be like, okay, well, like finish high school, don't do anything else till you're, till you're an adult. Whereas something happens to like a black kid or like some Hispanic kid or Native American, it's like, oh, this is an adult now. And so mm -hmm. we're going to try you as an adult. At least how the media portrays it, like that's, how, that's what we see. And Francis got sent off to military school and it's like, well, Francis got sent to military school. Would I be in prison or would I be in military school? Yeah. Like that's the easy way out for me in my eyes. You know, that's kind of like one of the things that was very white coded to me. Another thing was like how specifically Lois interacts with their peers because she's very hostile. Hostile in, in a way that I think that it was very clear that she would fight someone if they wanted to not mm -hmm. necessarily like she wants to fight but it's like it, it will get there if you push it there and where i feel like there was a lot of women in my family who were the same but it was way less like it would never start off with hostility mm -hmm. like it would never start that way it was always like i'm going to meet you at your level and so if you start off hostile that's when i'm going to get hostile they were never the aggressor and i feel like that's another thing that's like very white privilege where it's like you can be the aggressor and still be the victim. Yeah. I mean, I think what you're getting at in, in that last example, especially is like, I'd say for black women in particular, that's already a lot of people's default perception of them is that you're coming at me some type of way. You, you already have an attitude. And despite the fact that like, that could be very far from the reality of the situation, this person could just be coming to you totally normal at your level, like you were saying the baseline perception is already like, this lady is going to come to me with something unsavory. And so that person might already meet them with, with a heightened level of frustration or, or hostility. And I think you're right when it comes to Lois as a character. That is something that felt very white-coded, that she was always down for something to go down. And maybe in a lot of situations was the one to like start off with that, that sort of vibe. But I didn't think about that in the context of the kids, too. There's like a lot of cutaway gags that I remember 
where it was like one of them is getting in trouble with like the police or something like that. And they like know the names of the police officers. And that's just kind of more of a joke or like it's never something that is like a lasting consequence. You touched on it, but with Francis, the lasting consequence was military school. And that's really the only consequence that we see get carried out throughout a long period of time in the show. Uh, And everything else is sort of more like a joke. And then it resets at the next episode and everybody's mostly okay. Yeah, I think you're not wrong to think that if this were depicting a non-white family and we were treating it more true to life than the show does, could be some very different circumstances for these kids. Mm -hmm. And then I think as I got older, I started to understand, like, that's kind of just like Lois's personality. This is happening in the home as well. Like, it's Mm -hmm. kind of compounded because it's how it's happening in the home. Because in the home, she doesn't get that chance to relax and just be, like, settle. Mm -hmm. When she goes outside, that's how she is, like, naturally. Like, she's always ready simply because she always has to be ready as a, as a kid i just didn't realize that because like i was just thought like oh she's just mean it's like no she never got the chance to relax like, and she doesn't get she doesn't get the chance so like other than when she's sleeping she has to be on her toes because something could happen at any moment and that was very real for her hell even when she is sleeping i'm sure it's like one eye open because reese is snuck out or yeah. somebody's in jail like something is happening almost all the time But I think you touched on a really good point with addressing that she's kind of primed to be contested by somebody in the household, usually one of the sons, right? Like, really, when you watch it as an adult, you notice that she has very basic expectations of these people in her house. Like, she just wants them to carry themselves in a semi-decent way, hold yourselves to a certain standard respect me, appreciate what I'm doing for you as your parent. But she's always met with like immediate clapback to that more often than not. And so it makes sense. And I give that character grace for really being triggered and like going out into your real life, anticipating that same sort of hostility and pushback where maybe there is none. But I think what I also want to say is that that grace And that understanding should be extended to a lot more people that get caught up in those same dynamics that Lois does. But I think by virtue of her being white and, you know, this is a sitcom, we don't got to get too into this from from here on out. But like, I think that's why a lot of us are able to sort of lend some of that compassion and understanding to her circumstances versus a black mom who could be going through the exact same thing and presents in the exact same way in the real world is given a morsel of that understanding. And I think that says a lot. Yeah, it does. Because their peers, um, at least Lois and Howe's peers, never really consider, even though they know about the kids and how bad they are, they never really consider that. Lois and Howe are dealing with this on an everyday basis. Mm-hmm. Like this, is, this is their life now. Whereas for them, it happens commonly for them, but it's not like when you go home, it's still happening. There may be some interest with your house, but like on the average, like when something happens, you're always the victim in a sense. Whereas in their household, it's like something's happening all the time and there's no victim and aggressor there. Like this is just their family. 
One thing that I found interesting in our planning stage for the episode as well is the way that Malcolm and his family are sort of juxtaposed against his best friend at school, Stevie, and his family, who are a Black family that also, they live in the neighborhood, right? Yeah, they live in the neighborhood. So I, I found that very interesting when you started to talk about the way that they're contrasted against each other and the way that the show points out the differences between the characters and the way that they carry themselves. Do you have anything that you want to touch on in, in regards to how they're compared to one another? That's one of my like favorite dynamics in the show because Stevie is a disabled kid. He's in a wheelchair and he has like a respiratory disease as well to where he can't speak normally. He has to take a breath in between like every one or two words. And then he also has parents who are really high strong or at least his mom is. She's like overprotective to a point to where it's like, this may be like a mental issue. And then his dad is just like a cornball kind of, like not necessarily like he's weird or anything. He's just like corny. Like he's just yeah. like a very dad type. The household itself, may not be dealing with the same financial issues, like their class status is higher, but like them being not only a black family, but having a child who's very visibly disabled and having that contrast to Malcolm's family who are the obvious outcasts in a white neighborhood where the white family is the outcast, says a lot about just the dynamic of that family itself. This, there's an episode where they're playing like this game where like if you make like a little like okay symbol with your hand, put it under your waist. If they see it, you get to punch them. And Reese keeps doing this to Stevie and Stevie keeps falling for it. Even when he knows it's going to happen, Reese just keeps hitting him. He never stops. And like, it's still fun for Reese, even though it's way too easy. What I'm getting at here is just like, he's being bullied, essentially. He's feeling bullied. And nobody's doing anything about it. Malcolm is there the whole time and he does nothing but talk. But Stevie's, not only is he disabled, but he's also black. It's, it's just this weird episode, like as an adult, to where you have a white kid watching his disabled black friend be bullied by his older brother. You're just like, okay, I get that they're brothers, but... This is a very weird instance because in real life, if you see someone getting bullied and it's very obvious, you would at least want to speak up, you know, like tell an adult or something if you don't want to get involved. Mm -hmm. And not only that, if they're disabled as well, like it's, I think it's safe to say that commonplace, like most people would say something at least. But in the episode, it shows this weird dynamic to where it's like, eventually Stevie steps up for himself he becomes really clever and he gets respect but like do the ends justify the means and that's not to say that like they don't but i just think it's a very interesting way to contrast this like this is how a relationship between a lower class family who's white and an upper class family who's black but has a disability is interacting it's kind, yeah. of, it's kind of like the disability is not there. And we, we talked about this too, it, like in how a lot of shows and movies and media in general of that time specifically and prior, that's sort of how writers and creators would neutralize the playing field, so to speak. They would make Black characters and families wealthy 
And then it's like, okay, we don't have to worry about the nuances still of this single black family in a neighborhood full of white people. Because it's like, oh, like now the systemic issues that they experience are kind of nullified because they have the resources. I'm thinking of like the Cosby show, which did also touch on social issues that still impact them despite being wealthy. But like more often than not, that was not the focus of the episode. I don't really remember many episodes where they touch explicitly on Stevie and his family being black people in a in a space full of white people. Yeah, there's there's really one only one episode I know and it's like I think it's like Hal's grandmother or something and they find out that she's racist. Hal is like, Well I have a way that we can get back at her and he's like, All my friends are black. And so he's like, Well let's just well, let's just introduce her to all my friends and see what she thinks about that. Not that it's bad or good, but it's done way too lighthearted for it to feel like a real analysis of yeah. like how racial tensions work in the real world. Yeah. And maybe that's a testament just to like some of the limitations on the sitcom as a format and the stories that it's able to tell. I think that sitcoms have come a really long way as far as like being able to be genuinely funny and also touch on really important things in a way that doesn't feel like preachy, but also gets to the core of the issue and allows you to like sit with what that creator is trying to tell you. But I mean, I'm thinking about this show from the turn of the millennium. And yeah, I don't know that I expect it to speak to these issues in a really meaningful way. I think I would want it to, for sure. For example, the racist grandma, like tackle that with a bit more sincerity and and call that person out in a in a way that was not like, oh, let's introduce her to all my black friends and see if she calls any of them the N-word. Like it's an interesting, weird premise to craft for an episode. And in real life, that certainly would have gone a very different way. One thing that I wanted to touch on as well, and I, I invite you two to share your thoughts on it or just about their dynamic more, but Despite how differently both families live their lives with the dysfunction and chaos of Malcolm's family versus the almost militaristic order of Stevie's family, we see towards like the middle of the show that Stevie's family sort of crumbles. Stevie's mom ends up leaving the family. I'm not sure if they end up coming back or I haven't seen like all the episodes of the show, but there's a moment where we realize that their family unit wasn't as peaceful and wholesome as we thought it was. And there was a lot of infighting between the two parents and the mom really was not happy. And she was mostly staying for Stevie's sake to make sure that he was okay. And one day she decided, I think he's okay. And she left. And I don't know. I I don't know if there's anything else that I want to say about it. I just I think there's something that the writers are trying to say about this chaos that Malcolm's family has, but at the core of it, they understand each other and they accept each other despite those flaws. Versus Stevie's family, it seems like they're trying to maintain such a curated image and it looks great to people on the outside, but it feels like there was a fundamental lack of appreciating and valuing each other for who they just showed up as naturally in the world. And that led to their demise, really. What do you feel about that? No, I think that's a really good analysis because 
there's multiple instances in like the earlier episodes where it shows like CB's family is very much putting on a mask and trying to portray themselves in a certain way. There's an episode where Stevie's mom and Lois are like out to dinner together. And Lois is like, why don't you ever confront even the like the most minor of like issues? Like she orders, I think she orders like cranberry juice or something and they bring her something else and she just accepts it. And Lois is like, no, like you didn't want that. They they can very easily bring it back. Like it's not an issue. They just got the order wrong. And she's like, no, I actually like this drink. I'm going to keep it. And Lois is like, I don't understand why you can't just tell them like you didn't order this. I think that that was a very smart way of the creators, whether they were intending to or not, to say like, this is how a lot of black people interact in the world where they are the minority in a situation where they have to put on this face where like they are not confrontational at all like you can accept me or you can feel comfortable around me even though like that wasn't the issue that was happening with the mom that's kind of how like it is in the real world where i know oftentimes when i'm in spaces especially in college where like i was in a space where i was literally the only black person there and i have made be the only black person that some of these people know mm-hmm. like i have i felt like i couldn't be my, completely myself i kind of have to be like not necessarily whitewashed but like a watered down version of myself mm-hmm. and that's not to say like i'm the stereotypical black person you know like anything mm-hmm. like that but like i'm from compton and like when you tell people that also being black that's like that like there's already an image in their head yep. regardless of how i look I have to navigate being in that space with people knowing that and knowing that people already have this image of me. And I think that's a really good way to portray that through this show of black characters being like, this woman is non-confrontational to where it's a fault, where she has to run her house, like you said, militaristically, because not only is she concerned for the well-being of her son, who struggles with mobility and other things, but also that their family is maybe one of two other non-white families in the neighborhood. In the back of her head, she probably thinks, if Lois's family wasn't so chaotic, would we be the outcast? Wow. I, I never thought about that. Despite how different the families are presented in the show, maybe that's why they're they're still so interwoven and and why we get more and more plots throughout the seasons that like involve stevie and his family because yeah maybe they would be next on the chopping block for lack of a better phrase and there's something about that that like bonds them knowing that there's something about them whether it's intrinsic to who they are or if it's just a feature of whatever circumstances they've been dealt they understand each other, and, and at least in that way of knowing that, like, yeah. they look at us a little bit differently. And I think it means something that they're aligning with each other. But I, I think I took that for granted just in the context of my own life that I turn off a lot of different parts of myself. Like, when I'm in just mixed company, so to speak, I do cater to, I think, how people would like me to be and wanting to seem very docile and safe and approachable and comfortable 
it gets confusing because sometimes I'm like, I do like being that person though. Just generally, I want people to feel safe and, and seen and comfortable with me. So that's not something I want to lose, but I don't always consider that extra layer of me being black, being a black man, black man with a deep voice. There's always going to be that perception of me for some folks. And I'm aware of that. And it greatly impacts the way that I show up in public. I knew that already, but it's something about you bringing that to light when talking about these characters and also yourself that made me sit with that in a different way. So thank you for bringing that up. Yeah, I think it's something that like a lot of Black people don't really, unless that happens to them when they're older in life, I think it's something that's kind of just like in the back of our head because like, you know, when we go out in public, it's kind of like taught to us at a young age. You know, like once you're in a grocery store, your mom's like, don't be doing life here. Don't touch everything. Like don't be running around and doing all that stuff, you know, where it's like you see other kids doing it and you're like, I mean, they look like they're having fun, so why can't I do that? And it's like, there's a deeper layer to why you can't do that versus these other kids. Like, if you break something, that's an issue. If they break something, then it's just like, oh, he's a kid. Kids being kids, yeah. Oh, man, the grocery store. It's a whole, I won't even go too deep into it because I'd like to, you know, touch on some other topics too, but that's just a setting that you can use to really well describe some of the differences in how we're perceived and how we're aware of that perception too. From a very young age, I think the grocery store, school are a lot of our first introductions to like that double consciousness. I want to say W.E.B. Du Bois coined that term, but like not only being aware of how we perceive ourselves, but also being mindful of how other people's perceptions may differ from that, having to keep both of those in our minds. And it's so weird that like, from the time we're like three years old, we're training ourselves to be mindful of that. Very, very weird. One theme that I I think is really poignant when we think about Malcolm and really all the characters, but especially Malcolm, is um, the beauty of being a kid. And being able to just appreciate that time where there's not as much expectations of you, really the possibilities are limitless. You can go in any which direction, whatever calls to you. That That's usually, as long as it's healthy, it's usually fostered and cultivated, or at least that's the hope, right? Whereas I think for Malcolm, once he was found out to be gifted and really, really intelligent and put into that class, you saw things get a lot more regimented for him in particular. And he was put on a very particular path because he felt like the one person in that family that had promise, at least as far as society is relevant, like who is going to show up and represent for our our unit. And in that moment when he was put in this advanced class, it was sort of like he was chosen, selected for that, kind of against his will. I wanted to talk to you about like how do you feel about that? It, it, it seems like some of that innocence and that childhood that he otherwise would have had if he was, you know, stuck in the normal classes like he was before was almost sacrificed without much of a say from him. And you see that frustration over the seven seasons of him sort of like accepting that he's been chosen to to represent and and be different and stand out from his other family members despite wanting to fit in like what you were saying at the beginning speak on that a a little bit this is very like working class issue 
when you're a working class family and you find out you have that one kid that has that slight chance, for lack of a better term, like making it out the hood, like mm-hmm. you kind of put all your bread in that basket. And I think that's what happened to Malcolm. Essentially, they found out he's gifted and they were like, you're our golden ticket. And because it happened so young, it didn't necessarily take his childhood away, but it took his like childlike wonder or like his his ability to be like a kid to fullest away because you know, now he's in the gifted classes. And not necessarily that he doesn't like these classes. It's just that he didn't choose to be there. And I think that's where a lot of the issue comes for him. Never does he say he doesn't like math, but he never chooses to be like, I'm competing in this because I want to win. There's never a sense of agency with him. And I think that's where a lot of his rebellion stems from because he doesn't get to choose how the, the path in his childhood life. To contrast him from Reese and Dewey and Francis, they get to just be kids. The most they're forced to do is like chores and things like that, or you have to go to school or like you have to like walk your brother to school and stuff like that. But for Malcolm, it's like, not only are we forcing you to go to school, but like you also have to work too because you're the smart one. Like you're taking a child agency away and essentially forcing him to grow up faster than he needs to. I mean, still think about it. If he's smart, he still has to go through all that level of school. Even if you take him out to the gifted class, he's still going to go through K to 12. Like, that's a given. Like, the contrast is like they were rich. Even if he was in the gifted classes, I don't think they would have to have forced him because there's paths to college when you're rich. You don't need a scholarship. Usually, rich folks have some sort of alma mater or something where it's like maybe you didn't get into your first choice school but you always have a backup whereas for Malcolm it's like Lois and Howe understand that like we get that you don't want to be in this class but like you have a real chance here and it starts now there's no waiting for you and I think Malcolm as a kid understood this but he didn't want to accept it yeah the show starts at a really interesting age for him he's like 12 You know, something, something around that age. So like, there's that inkling of an understanding of like, I get why this is out of my hands. He's just reasonably frustrated about it. It's like at the end of the theme song, life is unfair. And that is like a repeating underlying theme of the show from the very beginning. You, You often don't get to choose your lot in life. And even in the context of somebody who's like smarter and, and, and has a lot more options in theory, he's still being spoken for by his family in these moments. And so it's like, regardless of whether you're quote unquote normal or you're advanced or something like that, there's still that element of your agency being taken. While you were talking, it reminded me of like maybe a parallel that's a, more of a stereotype in the black community than anything. But like, there's always that image of like a black mom. That, that has a son who, you know, happens to be very good at like basketball or football or something like that. Similarly, this feels like a ticket out of the hood. And so it's like, okay, we have to cultivate this. We have to nurture this gift because this could be something for you, something for us, really. And I think it's interesting that like for Malcolm in the Middle, they approached it more from like a conventional mental intelligence standpoint. Of like, this is how we get you out and, and 
all of us out really in the at the end of it. On that note, though, I one note that I wrote down when we were speaking earlier was about the narrow view of what it means to be intelligent or insightful and how the show really viewed, or at least the family viewed Malcolm as this sort of golden child that could change the the circumstances for the family long-term. But really all of the family, and especially the kids, are very unique and intelligent in their own specific ways. And I wanted to hear your thoughts on how each of the siblings hones in on their own version of intelligence, but how Malcolm's is singled out as being more valuable. Yeah, talk to me more about that. Yeah, I think we spoke about this before, but um, Malcolm is very conventional. Like, you're the smart one. So you get to be able to go to college and get the highly sought out degree that makes you like doctor, lawyer, you know, all of those high skilled professions, so to speak, that get you, bring you in the big bucks. Where with the rest of the family, you have Francis. Francis is like the leader over there at medical school. Like, he's not running things, but he's the one that has all the plans, all the big ideas. He's the one they come to when they need to get out of a rut and things like that. And even Malcolm and um, the rest of the brothers, like when there's a problem they can't solve, Francis is the first one they call. And then you have Reese. Reese comes to find out that he's just naturally gifted with food. Later in the season, eventually he becomes the cook. Lois isn't the one making dinner anymore. It's Reese. And you come to find out that Reese is making money, selling meat and cooking food. And like he's helping out with the bills that way. And then you have Dewey, who once he gets around Malcolm and Reese's age, find out that he's just naturally gifted in music. And he just knows how to play the piano. They don't ever address it. He kind of just knows. They have all these skills, but there's never a path for them. There's never... Like, oh, we're going to put doing some new school. Oh, we're going to take a Reese to culinary school or anything like that. It's kind of just like we know the conventional way. And because there's a set path for that, we can put Malcolm onto that. But the rest of them, they kind of have to figure that out on their own. Like culinary school, what do you do after that? You're good at music. What is he going to be like? Is he going to start a band or like what? Like when does the money start coming in for those? Whereas Malcolm, he gets a law degree, he gets his certificate or whatever, become a lawyer, and then he gets a job and he starts making money. Whereas the rest of them in society, there's no clear-cut path for them. And there's no guarantee that if you're good at something, it's going to work out for you. I think that's where the difference between their modes of intelligence and where their like uniqueness stands out is that Malcolm's is very, not to say more high skilled than the rest, but much more valued than theirs. Yeah, there's like real practical ways that we can consider how Malcolm can leverage his form of intelligence to be really successful, both socially, but also monetarily. We, yeah. they, they see a path for him. And yeah, it's a lot less clear cut for the others. But what that was making me think of when you were talking is like, the role that expectations also can play in how people, especially kids, perform, right? Like Malcolm, because his form of intelligence was supported and fostered once they realized like, oh, this kid is special. Like, I think that overall just naturally elevated his own expectations for himself. 
And even though he maybe didn't want exactly what his family wanted, like, for example, in the last episode, Lois mentions that, like, you're going to be president. Like, that is my long term goal for you. I want you to be the president of the United States, even though he was like, what the hell? Like, I don't know that that is for me. You know that because those expectations are so high for him, even though he may not get to that level, just by virtue of that being something, a standard that's set for him, I think he's going to go a lot further than maybe some of the other kids where it's like, just don't get sent to jail today. You know what I mean? Like, that's really the expectation that's set out for a lot of the other siblings is like, just stay out of trouble. I can imagine what that does to their their self-esteem and what they expect to achieve out of life that like there's not much more expected from them beyond just being okay and making it to the next day the show really does a good job at like showing how everyone in the family reacts to lois because mm-hmm. we get a lot of scenes of specifically um francis and malcolm where they're talking to other people and they're like you kind of talk about your mom a lot and they're like turned off by it and they're like like no you don't understand like and she's not just overbearing she's overbearing to a point where it's very overwhelming and for malcolm i think it's different because there's the expectation there yep. whereas for everyone else it's kind of just like she's a pain in my butt it's, it's just hard for me to deal with it but for mm-hmm. malcolm it's like she's just disciplined for you guys for me it's discipline and order not only do i have to be a certain way i have to meet certain expectations mm-hmm. you guys kind of just like like you were saying like just don't get in trouble but for malcolm it's like there are actual steps and goals that i have to achieve yeah and naturally there's some resentment and frustration that can come from that of feeling like the expectations that are set out for you by your parents are just like insurmountable or at least just not comparable to the expectations that are set out for the people around you that you feel like you relate to so much, like your siblings, it doesn't feel fair. And the way that you articulated that was interesting because it made me think about my own life. And I grew up very differently. I did not have a ton of siblings around. We weren't fighting for resources or anything like that. For a lot of my childhood, at least the latter half, I was like an only child, kind of, right? Like I have an older brother but he was out of the house and doing his own thing by the time I was getting into like middle school. And not that I'm Malcolm level intelligent, but you know, I was doing the, the advanced classes and and that sort of thing. And it was interesting that there was a lot of pressure I felt at that time, especially because my brother went a very different path. There was that pressure that I felt from my, mother and my family at large to perform at a at an exceptional level. And I think that's compounded by being a black man in these spaces where there's very few of us, black people in general. I didn't really think about that, about how Malcolm could have felt maybe a bit smothered by those expectations. Cause I as much as I appreciate where my mother was coming from and where she was going with laying some of those expectations out for me, I can resonate with that. And I I understand how that can feel like a burden his intelligence can feel like. You know what I mean? I definitely agree because I was also someone who was like 
taking AP classes in high school and things like that. And like, even when it got to like the point to where like, we're actually applying to colleges, I kind of already knew like, I didn't even want to go. Like, mm. regardless of how smart other people thought I was and how I was, I was like, I kind of don't really know what I want to do with my life. So I feel like college is just pointless for me, at least at this moment. And then even so, I didn't like high school. So what makes you think, like, I want to do it as an adult? I was like, I'm going to just go to community college then. And then my parents were like, well, just apply and see how it goes. And once I got accepted to a school, and it was like, well, you have no choice now. You, you have to go. In my head, I was like, well, I got accepted. They did, they're not forcing me to go. But mm -hmm. my parents were like, no, like, you got accepted to a university. You go to a university. I kind of feel like that's kind of the same thing Malcolm was thinking in his head where he's like, I don't really know what I want to do in my life. Like, I've always been pushed on this path because I'm smart. Like, what if I don't even want to go to college? What if what I want to do has nothing to do with how smart I am? Does he go? does actually go to college, yeah. but he's the janitor yeah. at, at Harvard. At the last scene, he's like, I think, talking to one of the family members. And then he, like, hangs up the phone and, like, puts away the janitor stuff and, like, runs to his class. Yeah. Um, so, like, he's there, but it's, like, you know, he's positioned in a, in a really interesting way. Like, right off the bat, he has a job. Mm -hmm. And, you know, like, the typical college experience. Even for me, it's like, well, at least your first year, you don't have a job. For him, it's like, what has really changed for me other than I'm in college now? At you know, at, at Harvard. the best college, yeah. you know, in the United States. Yeah, it's like created even more juxtaposition between his class standing and all his peers around him. And this is something that they touch on in the last episode in a really poignant way with Lois's speech to Malcolm is that like he's kind of poised to be an outcast for most of his life, if not all of it. That's his lot in life. And, you know, despite being, you know, sort of positioned in the middle of his family lineage, he's always going to stand out. But I, I thought that that was a really interesting and meaningful way to sort of end the show with him reaching some sort of goal that nobody in his family could even really dream of, of actualizing. But nonetheless, there's that aspect of his experience there that ties him to his family so tight yeah. like that nobody there at harvard could probably relate to i also think it's very um important to point out that they also gave him the um you're gonna have to work twice as hard speech for us that's like a race thing but for him it's a class thing it's like you're not a legacy admission so mm -hmm. you might find out that it's going to be the same here where you're the outcast because you're the gifted one and people are going to be trying to put you on a path like we did. But that doesn't mean that you're going to be accepted. You know, like you're going to still have to work hard. And that might mean both physically and mentally. Like you're going to have to mop floors for all mm -hmm. four years that you're here. And also, you're going to have to be way better than everyone else because we don't have the, the money to bribe these schools like everyone else you don't have as much leniency as these other kids. To add to that, what I found really interesting in that sort of, you know, you got to work twice as hard to make half of, of what everybody else is experiencing speech that Lois gave is that 
not only was she saying that, but she was also saying to actively reject the easy route mm-hmm. because, you know, once you get into some of these spaces and you, you learn to navigate them well enough, you may be offered a way to sort of kind of get a pass here and there and, and make it through a little bit easier. But there's value is as weird as it is to maybe say that there's value in the experience of going about things in the way that's not so easy. I think it teaches you a lot about yourself. It teaches you a lot about the people that you're interacting with. It teaches you a lot about the institutions that you're in and makes you hopefully more appreciative for the places that you're able to reach. And I thought that that was really really cool. I know that's probably a better word that I could use to describe how that was, but it's a sentiment that has certainly been said to me. You can't do what all your your little friends are doing, even if they give you that out, that route to go about it that way. It's not your path. It it goes right back to how they're viewed by their peers as kids. Just because that option is there doesn't mean it's for you. Because people are going to view you differently. Absolutely. And I guess as we're, we're zooming out and closing the conversation on this particular show, I'm curious for you, you know, now you're at a point of young adulthood. You've, you've gotten through the schooling part of your life for the most part. Who knows? We could always go back. Um, but that pr- preliminary phase of life and having to maneuver through that, how do you reconcile now expectations of you? How do you make peace with that? How do you buck up against that when you feel the need to? Do you do that? How do you feel like using Malcolm in the Middle as a lens has helped you working against those expectations now? I think personally for me, the show was really good at telling me like which battles I need to choose very much like after I graduated. It was just like a job hunt. And once I got a job, it was like, okay, now where do I go from here? And now that I have like a job there where I can like, you know, I can afford to move out of my parents' house and stuff like that. It's like, now we're back at square one. Like, where do I go from here? And mm-hmm. you start to, you start to get tired of the cycle. And it's like, do I want to go back to school? Well, I didn't want to go to school in the first place. So like, like, what do I do now? And it's kind of like, you start to have, like, think back. What did I do to get here? And, like, what decisions were the best for me? And I think that's a lot of what Malcolm had to do in his life. A lot of their introspection was, like, what did I do in my life to get here? And what could I do different so that my future is at least a little better? That's like a lot of what I'm struggling with now because like once you get a job, there's no guarantee that it's going to be a job that you like. You could have your dream job and work with the worst people in the world. Or you could have a terrible job and people you work with are your best friends. It's really a challenge to, you know, look at that and be like, where is the balance? Where do I fit in? What makes me the happiest? Also being stable for me like what i tell a lot of people is like i have no problem being a janitor but also mm-hmm. i cannot afford this apartment as a janitor you really have to think and be like what decisions are best for me like that's a lot of what malcolm goes through uh, and i think what you're getting at and what i 
field that the show does really well at articulating and depicting is that there's so many variables in life that we can't control, but it's all about trying our best to find that balance, finding those little ways in which we can control our circumstances. And it may not always be exactly how we want it to be, but that seems to be what life is offering right now is like figuring out those little things here and there that you can create or craft for yourself that nobody else has any uh, say over. And you see all the characters in different ways negotiate that for themselves in the show. What do I want? I, I know either mom has these rules for me or in the case of the parents, society has these rules for me. What can I do in this moment to make sure that I'm okay and that I feel seen, at least by myself? Well, with all of that being said, I have enjoyed talking about this show immensely. I did not know I had such a fondness for this show before we met. And you told me that this is something that you would want to talk about at length. It was like opening up a locked door in the back of my brain. And I was like, wait, I, I have a love for this show and these characters that I haven't accessed in over 15 years. So it was a joy and a, a gift that I think that you gave me to be able to access that. And I'm hoping that through this experience of talking with each other about it, it helped you like maybe learn a little bit more about yourself and how you're engaging with this piece of media. Yeah, no, there's definitely things that like, once I started talking, I was like, oh wait, like I need to go in a different direction here because I'm starting to notice something. It's one of the joys of this podcast. If I can take a little second to stand on my soapbox, it's been a privilege and each episode that I record and prepare, it's like, wow, media really can be a vehicle for just reflection and growth and thoughts that you otherwise would not have had. And being able to do it in this context where I'm meeting somebody and being able to talk about things that we would not have discussed in any other way, it means a lot because I feel like we're able to develop community by processing media. And that's, in retrospect, something I've always wanted to do. So thank you for indulging me as the random guy that you met at the jazz club that chatted you up and taking me up on it. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, man. I, I enjoyed it. Like, I like talking about this show a lot. Like, now I do. How did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody knows the drill by this point. We're going right on into ad break. Stay tuned. Welcome back to Retrospection Connection. We are hopping right into ad break. Darrell, are you ready? Yeah, I'm good. All right. Question one. What do you wish you saw more in the media that you consumed growing up? which I saw more diversity, just strictly diversity. Not like, I don't need you to show like black people's problems. I don't see you to show like Native Americans on a reservation. I don't need you to show any of that. Like, just like this white kid can have more than one black friend, you know? Like he can, like you can show like people just living their life without having to like navigate everything that actually happens in the real world. There's like this very forced 
kind of deals for where like even in like fantasy where like the problems of the real world still exist and and I'm not just not to say that like you can't use fantasy to portray that but like give me a break dog like you can have diversity in a show and not have the problems that they face in real life translate in that in that as well and that's not a good or a bad thing that's you're just telling a story to like tell the story I agree I think there's room for like fantasy and science fiction that's usually my bag like I've been obsessed with Star Trek recently Uh, check out the Star Trek episode it's great Um, but there's room for those fantastical stories to touch on real life stuff I don't think anybody's saying like we don't want any of that but I think it has to be balanced out with like especially in those genres being like this is fantasy like not everything has to have a real world application not everything has to have a parallel that you can resonate with that like speaks to whatever problems you've got going on in your life for a lot of these shows and movies like we're utilizing this as an escape so i i get your frustration with realistic portrayals of diversity question two what would you title the current episode of your life? I think I'd title it Social Epidemic. Hmm. So personally, me, I've never been like a social butterfly. Um, you know, I've had my friends and I've always been to them. Now, since I've moved out to my parents' house and I'm in an entirely new city, my peers have changed, people I see on a regular basis have changed. And like I'm further away from everyone now and so it's been way more difficult to like meet up with my old friends because I'm just further away and like also there's no parking over here so like <laughs> even if they do want to come it's like all right when are you trying to come because like yeah. the whole parking situation is going to be actually be an issue and like it me is. personally once I drive around the park two three times I'm going home like it's <laughs> Like, like I'm not about to. I'm not trying to sit out here for 20 minutes. But um, yeah, it's like now I have to relearn how to navigate social spaces um, and like meet people. Now it's like if I want to meet people, I have to make. I have to take the first step myself, and there's no one pushing me anymore, and that's been like a real struggle for me. Like, all right, last question. What is something that you would tell your younger self? What is something that younger Darrell needs to know and hear from older Darrell? I think I would tell my younger self to just like make more decisions that make you happy and just maybe give it a little more thought. Because I think a lot of times younger me, not necessarily that I was making the wrong decision, but I wasn't making a decision based on what I wanted. If I had done that more often, for better or for worse, I think I would have been much less regretful of like where I end up. And not not to say that I regret where I am now, it's just as I look back and I'm like, well, maybe if I made the decision I wanted to make, I wouldn't have that what if question, you know, mm-hmm. if I made that decision. If you're not gonna make the decision you want to make, at least give it some thought first before you're like 
I'm just going to go this way because that's what I think I should do versus what I want to do. So now is a closing, closing question. I, I know I said that was the last one, but this relates to what you just said. Yeah. How do you think now as an adult with a bit more autonomy and choice, how are you making sure that you honor what Darrell needs and what Darrell wants? It's definitely much different now because a lot of my decisions have much more serious repercussions. I just have to balance it out by like having my priorities straight. And so that if something comes up and I have to choose between what I want versus what I think is right, then I have a much more informed you know, minds to make that decision so that I'm not necessarily having this fight between like myself and my environment. Like I'm just making sure that can I make this decision and know that I come out right or come out unscathed on the at the end of it versus am I just making this decision because I think it's going to make me happy. You know, sometimes that that decision might actually be objectively the wrong decision. So as an adult, you have to really take into consideration what's going to happen after I make this decision, regardless of whether it makes me happy or not. I think that's a really great answer. I think young Darrell would absolutely benefit from hearing that. And young and old Jalen even uh, definitely took a thing or two from that as well. So thank you for sharing that. And once again, thank you for being on Retrospection Connection, I think you have an excellent approach to the way that you consider media and the way that you resonate with it and very much in line with the way that I like to do things. So once again, thank you. And um, yeah, I hope you have a great rest of your day. Yeah, no, thank you for inviting me. This has been an interesting experience. I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk soon. Talk soon. Have a good one. Bye.